Hey there, it's Lou Carlozo, the host of the NMD Plus podcast, Bankadelic, based in Chicago. Now, imagine this. It's okay to fail. It's okay to say, I don't know the answers. Now, imagine those phrases as signs of leadership in digital transformation. This isn't theory, people. It's road-tested reality. And today, Dan Phipps, former head of digital at HSBC Asia Pacific, and today the CEO and founder of Truth Consulting Partners, will chat us through the lessons he's learned about digital transformation here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the show. And this week, the two Ds become three Ds as we welcome Dan Phipps, is going to help us demystify digital transformation from a banking point of view. Dan, would you mind just giving everyone an introduction to yourself? And there's been a few changes for you over the last few months. Perhaps you could explain what those are as well. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dave. And lovely to see you and Don this morning. So, yeah, I was 27 years at HSBC. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> a long that's time. the thing, is it? 27 years. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I don't feel 27 years old, but it feels like an eternity. So, <laughs> so yeah, I was there a long time and then I helped with their restructure last year. I made myself redundant because I thought I better go and see whether I'm valid in the real world or not and go and do some more learning elsewhere. So I spent about six months looking around and talking to lots of other banks and figuring out what I wanted to do next and do I want to swap the wallpaper and move a red branded bank to a blue one or a green one or something or go do something different? So I've ended up starting my own digital transformation consultancy firm called Truth Partners. And I'm also a senior advisor at BCG, Boston Consulting Group, where I'm helping some of their clients with their digital transformation journey and financial services in particular. And I'm also looking at establishing a startup to decarbonize home heating in the UK, which is a passion of mine. So I've been busy and should say thanks to all the people that supported me over that six month period. It was a big jump leaving the company after so long and lots of people gave me confidence and it was amazing how many people in my network were keen to help me on the right path to the next challenge. So it's been great. So today we're going to talk about the digital transformation side of things and I think, you know, hopefully get a kind of view from inside a bank, but also now you've kind of left that broader view. But you spent the last 10 years of helping HSBC with their digital transformation. And my claim to fame, as far as you're concerned, is I was there from the start because I remember you phoned me up one day and you said, Dave, I've been offered this job in digital. What does it mean? I think you were based <laughs> in Paris at that time, weren't you? Yeah, I was working in the distribution team for Continental Europe, lucky enough to be living in Paris for a couple of years. And I got made the head of digital because I was the youngest member of the executive team and I had an iPhone. It was, I think it was about 12 years ago. So it shows how far we've come that in 12 years, 
the qualification to run digital in a big bank is somewhat different now to it was back then. <laughs> but I remember thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? So I'll ring Uncle Dave, get him on the phone. It was like Princess Leia putting a call out to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Help me, Dave Wallace, you're my only hope. And bless you, you got on the Eurostar and you came out and we sat on the Champs-Élysées drinking overly expensive coffee and you gave me the benefit of your wisdom which got me through the first couple of years while I was unconsciously incompetent. <laughs> That's very kind of you. I think it was all actually to do with you. So anyway, no, it was great to be there from the beginning, but I think what happened over the sort of preceding 10 years or the following 10 years was incredible. So I mean, can you just sort of talk about what happened within the bank? So I guess at that stage when you phoned me up, I had been involved with helping the bank from a kind of digital strategy point of view. And I don't think the bank had really gone through that transformation process. It's sort of only in the last 10 years that it's been through that process. So I wonder if you could just talk about what happened and what the aims were and what was achieved. Yeah. In the early days, digital was just a channel. And I think a lot of organisations still see digital or manage it certainly as a channel rather than the future of their business effectively. And I think as a channel, it's also seen as being an opportunity for cost savings because, you know, we know the banks have closed lots of branches all over the world in recent years, last decade, and tried to take cost out of the business and migrating transactions into a digital channel is obviously a big cost save for banks. So there's an awful lot of focus on getting consumers onto internet banking and then later on mobile banking apps to get their transactions migrated. And many banks now, it's kind of 98% plus the number of transactions that are done on digital platforms, which is great in the context of that channel and cost reduction journey. It's really helped. And then we saw the importance of the rise of mobile apps, which really were sort of, <laughs> at the time, internet banking put on a mobile app, <laughs> but have somewhat developed since then. The realisation that if you've got a mobile banking app and you open it, on your phone, the consumer that's using it isn't really comparing you with another financial institution. The competition sort of changed because now if you come off of Facebook or Twitter's app and you go onto your bank's app, your mind is comparing it against the app that have just come off, not comparing it against another financial institution. So it, it kind of started to stretch financial services to think about themselves being more consumer focused and creating better experiences. So people start to think about how we build journeys and you know create experiences for consumers that are a bit more engaging in those early days. But I think that then the realisation came. I mean, I was lucky I got to work with some people that come out of the consumer tech world and taught me a huge amount, actually, and took HSBC a long way forward when we realised that we really needed to change our technology stack that supported us and our ways of working, etc. Because if you've got these big legacy, you know, back-end banking systems, if you're building point-to-point from those to a front-end experience, either on the internet or on mobile app, it's very slow when you're kind of doing quarterly releases. So you need to start replacing that legacy platform piece with APIs and with all of the release trains that we need so that you can do releases. I mean, we've got in the end, 2019 did a release every day across HSBC globally. And that moved from the position of doing quarterly releases, which were obviously huge and expensive to test, etc. So you started to see an awful lot more coming out in terms of cadence, which was helpful. And clearly the investment came along with it. I guess that what you were looking at was a move away from kind of a much more waterfall-based approach into a much more agile-based approach. Yeah. That was a big, big change for the bank and is a big change for anybody who's trying to go through that process. I mean, we copied Spotify, <laughs> along with many other people that watched the <laughs> cartoon on YouTube, which is actually a great watch if, if you haven't. It's an old video now, but fantastic one to explain how these things work, how engineering culture should work for consumer technology. But yeah, we set about looking at Agile, but I think one of the common mistakes that I've seen, even in the last six, nine months, I've spoken to 20 banks or something, 
everybody's broadly working on the same stuff, broadly the same direction from a technology and a business perspective. But there's no point in doing agile unless you transform the technology stack. There's no point in doing the technology stack unless you're going to put agile in and move to a kind of value stream type model. You really have to transform the whole business. And, and on top of that, you have to get the cultural change in the way that you lead and run a business right, because it's completely different running a business where you can release an experience to a customer every day and where you've got to manage the content online and you have the ability to optimize what a customer sees every day. I always give the example of personal loans. Years ago, <laughs> a branch manager, if I wanted to change the way that we sold personal loans in a branch, you'd have to take all the people that sold them off the road, you'd have to sit them down, give them training, then you'd have to test them, and then you'd have sales quality checks to do on them. You know, it took you months to change the way that you sell personal loans. Obviously, in digital, you could change it, do a release in the morning, follow the data in real time in the afternoon, and then change it the following morning to optimize it and change the steps around or swap something out if that's what you chose to do. If you imagine the power of being able to do that in branch banking over the years, you could see how you could iterate that kind of sales process really quickly. But running a business that is that fast to change requires a very different mindset and different ability to lead. And you have to be prepared to make mistakes, which typically big banks are not keen on because culturally making mistakes in banks is not smiled upon. So you kind of have to fail fast and fix it faster. I think it was the expression I used to use. <laughs> make your people autonomous and let them make mistakes. But because you can change them quickly, it's not the same as it used to be. I guess you went through a transformation of the technology, of the processes, of the skills and culture. I mean, what was the hardest part in all of that? In the organisation I was at, well, I travelled to 17 countries, I think one year. <laughs> we covered 21 globally. Getting all of those countries to understand that we had a global technology stack that we were using and that we were attempting to get customer experiences that were built on a single code base, which enabled you to build something once and deploy it many times, is a challenge. Culturally, that's very difficult because everybody thinks that their market is different and there are differences, but there's also an awful lot of commonality, a common direction. It's also getting people to understand that you have to do all of the elements. You have to do the tech, you have to do the cultural change, you have to do the ways of working, the operator model then you have to know how to operationalize and run a business that you can optimize it and bring rich content forward every day. And then digital messaging, the ability to do push notifications to consumers in real time, and that you can personalize it down to an audience of one if you chose to. That's a very different business to run. And I think it's very difficult for incumbent banks to get their head around all of that when you've got people like I used to be, who have kind of been in a bank for 20 years and are conditioned and you know, trained in how banking works. It's, it's been a difficult journey for people, which is why people have to be open and understand that leading with vulnerability and being prepared to say, I don't understand, I don't know how this works, is important. And I think the other thing that's important is talent, because the thing that I probably, I definitely learned the most from the people that we brought in and, you know, hiring people that have done this before and that understand it, either in other industries or in financial services, is critically important. And if you can't hire those people in, and get help from you know consultants or practitioners like me <laughs> and we can support you that was a shameless plug oh no uh, but yeah you know getting people in to support you particularly practitioners i think that's my passion for doing this i've never really thought of myself as going into consultancy particularly but what really appeals to me is the idea that i think i've probably made all of the mistakes in the last decade and the idea of being able to help other organizations to avoid those things and have the benefit of that learning has really appealed to me and being able to say that I sat in their shoes and I faced their decisions and how to kind of move forward from that is something that I have a lot of passion for. I mean, I guess one of the things with HSBC is just the scale. You talk about going to 17 different countries and 
when we first started working with the bank, we recorded a podcast with Brett King and we talked about the fact that, you know, we were there doing some of the first early digital work for the bank. And there was a few of us in a cupboard, basically, in an office on one Queens Road Central in Hong Kong who were kind of doing this. And then I guess by 2019, 2020, just the scale of what was kind of going on, it was truly industrialized, the transformation that was happening, which I guess brought its own challenges in terms of how you kind of take people along with things. Yeah. And, you know, we were managing, I was head of delivery at one point, I think it was 2,200 initiatives in the portfolio, 220 <laughs> million plus in technology spend. <laughs> Understanding where you are with 2,200 things at the same time, um, you know, managing those is very difficult, particularly when you're trying to work in agile, you're trying to empower the teams that are building them, you're trying to let them make mistakes. But their immediate consumers from the global teams are other people that are sat in the countries that maybe haven't gone through the same cultural change and aren't as close to those changes, it's difficult to take people with you and, and you just have to you know, be empathetic and try and educate people and take them on that journey. But I mean, most banks on the scale of something like HSBC, I've got 21 countries that are all trying to do it simultaneously. So it's obviously a lot easier when for slightly smaller organisations, some of the ones I've spoken to in the last six, 12 months, but the challenges are all the same. The scale makes it more complex, but the challenges are the same. I, as I say, I've spoken to 20 banks, all pretty much on the same journey just at a different phase on the timeline. We've talked about the past 10 years, like looking forward, what do you see the challenges are that many of these banks or every bank is going to face from a transformation perspective? Well, first of all, it's about talent. You have to have the right people there that have a level of experience or get help so that you've got the right advice. Otherwise, I mean, we made so many mistakes. So when we originally organised our cross-functional teams, we thought it'd be sensible to have a loans team, a cards team, a current account team. And we say to those people, right, go out and build your experiences. But then they're all building KYC experiences. They're all building an onboarding experience. They're all building a security experience. We suddenly realised really quickly, oh, these teams are all building the same stuff because the componentry actually is the same. So then you reorganise to say, well, there's a originations team and a servicing team. But then you start to lose focus on the products. And kind of feeling your way through that is one of the things that really just came through us through trial and error until we came to a structure that works pretty well. So there's that part in terms of the organisational construct and having the talent and the experience there to do it. I mentioned before the different skills, capabilities and knowledge, so the content, design, copywriting, optimization, messaging, social media strategies, they're all things that banks are starting to do now. But again, you know, you've got to do them at scale when you're running a business that is inherently digital in its nature as most are. You've got the technology side of things. So it's still organisationally, a lot of banks have got a technology team and then a business team. And there's always that kind of internal tension between those two groups of people, particularly when they speak different languages, <laughs> sometimes literally different languages. <laughs> um, but, you know, when you've got people in technology talking about APIs and release trains, you know, how important replacing the core banking system is with cloud-based technology. And you've got business stakeholders that don't understand it and historically had the vulnerability and leadership to say, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. You know, I've always been somebody that just would say, I haven't got a bloody clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I would seek to learn. But you end up with expressions like, this is a tech for tech investment, where people in technology are saying, we need to do this thing. And people in the business don't understand it. And they don't understand, you know, the potential business benefits of it. But it's because it's been framed in the wrong way. So storytelling becomes really important because you need to link every technology investment to a business benefit that's really tangible and clear. And you need to get the technology and the business folk on the same page 
trying to achieve the same outcomes, not technology outcomes and business outcomes, but outcomes that deliver for the customer. You talked just a bit before about things like copywriting and messaging. That all sounds like marketing. So I think, you know, building the bridge between the business and marketing and technology is kind of critical as well. Yeah, there's another silo in most firms is the marketing team. And you have to get all these people working together. And that's why the establishment of these value stream models is really important because it brings all of the skills that you need together into teams that have everybody that they need to kind of go soup to nuts, top to bottom, whether it's technology, business, marketing, compliance, whoever these people are, legal, you know, they all sit in teams that can go from top to bottom. And getting those people working together, you start to bust these silos because as I spent the last six months going around, all banks have got silos, even the firms that are supporting the banks (laughs) because they mirror their customers, they have silos. So you know, you've kind of got this silo busting, which is critical. And as you go through that, then, you, you know, you get into internal tensions and difficulties in understanding the language that each other speaks and stuff. So you can get through it, but it's calling those things out early and, you know, having the upfront conversation because everybody wants the same outcomes. You know, it's just getting people on the same page. And then I think that the other thing is the back-end systems piece and, you know, the move to cloud. So there's undoubtedly a place in terms of core banking systems, moving to the cloud. There's a lot of great providers out there that they're trying to do that. Obviously, you've got regulators that are slightly nervous and banks trying to work out how to do it. And there's lots of different models for that to happen. But banks know that they need to do back-end core banking change and move to cloud. They need to build the platforms and the release trains and they need to get all the APIs built. There's all this technology work to do. And then they need maybe to move to you know, Salesforce or some other ability to manage all of their leads and then they've got front-end systems to do. you've got all of this stuff going on then you want to do cultural change you want to do all of this stuff and then what typically happens is you kind of split that into projects or you water down all of your investment and sprinkle a little bit over all of it which means none of it gets delivered very quickly <laughs> or you pick one of them which can't exist without the other ones so again it's a multi-year transformation program for any bank and it's how you construct that in a sensible order so that you can commercialized as quickly as possible and start to self-fund future investments so that you're not just staring down the barrel of a multi-million dollar investment. So the challenges are the same across the industry, broadly speaking, unless you go to other places. You know, I've spoken to a few neobanks as well. They have, they have different set of challenges. A lot of them are already set up in the cloud. They were technology firms that happen to be working in financial services. So they kind of have the opposite problem in that they want to know, how do I talk to the regulator when I have downtime? Or how do I set up the more banky processy bits that happen? So, you know, it does change, but certainly for the incumbent banks and the challenges are very similar. Given that there's a lot to be done, what do you think are the three or four kind of real key priorities for banks now going forward? Well, in the current environment, we're thankfully starting to come out of this COVID situation, certainly in the UK and elsewhere in the world. And we need to get revenues rebuilt because we've got a challenging base rate environment. Margins are low. You've got to rebuild revenues. And I personally think that the way that you do that is by building a deeply personalised and relevant real-time experience for consumers. So that means that digital messaging is absolutely critical. Think about any consumer tech firm that you engage with today, You know, whether it's Twitter or TikTok or whoever. People are engaging with content multiple times a day and you've got to maintain the attention of the consumer. You can't do that by just sending them a statement alert once a month. You've got to be giving them content on a very regular, frequent basis that is engaging and that has return parties that they can do stuff. Things that are of interest, maybe beyond the normal financial services 
um, type activity. So, you know, getting that engagement and doing that real time personalization and messaging, I think is critically important. The second one I think is, I've talked about this value stream model, you know, if we're gonna enable truly customer focused teams, then most banks need to restructure, get into a value stream type model. And certainly from the research that I've seen since I've been working with my friends at BCG, you're talking about a cost efficiency of 15 to 25% and a net promoter score growth of 20 to 40% just by reorganizing to a value stream model. So there's a commercial upside to doing that as well. Wow. And then the last two, I think the green finance and enabling playing that societal role in enabling climate change. It's a passion of mine, but I also think it's something that the banks have started to step into. They certainly haven't spoken to a few CEOs of UK banks and global banks of late. They absolutely recognise and are taking that really seriously. So whether that's from an investment perspective or from a consumer level, helping people to fund, whether it's insulation or air source heat pumps instead of gas boilers in their homes or whatever it might be, you can certainly see that there's a willingness to do that. And I look forward to banks and fintech firms leaning in more on the green finance side of things. There's certainly a lot of government interest and support around it as well. And then the last one, which is the thing that I always <laughs> used to bang on about HSBC is about leading with vulnerability. So it's okay not to know the answer. It's not okay to pretend that you do. You know, in leadership, we used to talk about vulnerabilities being a superpower. So as soon as you stand up in front of teams and start saying, I don't understand, and you empower your people to tell you what it is that needs to happen and you give them enough autonomy to make mistakes and grow through them and back them up, that cultural change at the very top of organisations starts to allow people to you know, adapt the cultural change and the changes in ways of working that are needed to support you know, the technology-driven transformation of their business. Fantastic. Well, listen, Dan, it's been amazing talking to you. Thank you very much for chatting us through your time at the bank and sort of what you're up to now. I mean, there's just so much to kind of unpack in there. I really appreciate you spending time with us. So good luck with the Truth Partners and your green climate change initiatives and look forward to seeing what happens in the future. Great. And thanks for chatting to me. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Don Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.